Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning in to another Filmmaker Bros podcast. Um, I, I, along with our other host, Richard Bloomer, are here today. What's up everyone, excited to be here. And today we have a special, very special guest, and his name is Dave Mays. What's up Dave? Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me guys. I'm happy mm-hmm. to be part of the bro-ship, the brodom of filmmakers. Bro-ship. <laughs> I like that. I like the bro shit. That's nice. You know, I used to be a magician, and we can kind of talk about that in our conversation, yeah. <laughs> but there is a club in the magic community called the IBM, and it stands for International Brotherhood of Magicians, and Whoa. I always thought that was like such an elite like club to be a part of. <laughs> yeah. I, I went to it, but yeah, the IBM, it's like one of the biggest magic like clubs in the world, um, and yeah, it's like this really prestigious magic what do you have to do to get in brothers uh you do have to like perform uh at a, a club meeting and kind of show okay. that you're you know legit. legit um and i think that's really it they just kind of accept you and they pretty much accept everybody I like, but i feel like it's like a, a knighthood or something it you is have to yeah be like knighted in with your they give magician you, hand they give you a little pin that was you know like designed i think houdini created the club so it's like a very old, Whoa, like traditional right. magic community that has its roots in, in you know, Harry Houdini and stuff like that. So, um, anyways, this is the International Brotherhood of Filmmakers podcast. There you go. <laughs> we started it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, Dave, um, I've listened to the Polar Pro po- podcast a ton, and I know a lot of your story. I'm still going to ask some questions. I'm going to try not to answer them for you because I know some of, you, some of the answers <laughs> and like how you got started and whatnot. Um, but um, first off, love the Golden Hour podcast. Um, it's been super Thanks. inspirational, very helpful and entertaining uh, all around. And you're an, an incredible host for it. So how did you get started? You were a magician. <laughs> tell us tell us how you got into video and how you got to yeah, where you are now, basically. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for the kind comment on the Golden Hour podcast. Yeah. It's uh, as you guys know, it's kind of like funny doing a podcast because you really are just by yourself in a room, yeah. you know, talking yeah. into nothing. Um, at least in, in these types of instances, you are you guys have each other to bounce ideas off of, and I always have a guest mm-hmm. on. Um, but for the most part, it just feels like uh, me and a guest just hanging out, and I sometimes forget you know, people actually listen to it. So it's cool to hear that like you're actually listening to it and that you're a fan. <laughs> oh, yeah. I really appreciate it. Um, and I've, I've, it's been a struggle that these last couple of months trying to figure out the YouTube strategy with it. Um, I started a YouTube channel for the golden hour and, uh, it's been a lot of fun to kind of start incorporating video. Now it was an audio only show for about two years. And now we're, we're kind of getting serious about the video side. So that's a whole nother challenge trying to grow a podcast channel on YouTube, which, you know, you're not going to get millions of followers, uh, doing that. But anyways, uh, yeah, as far as, uh, my story goes, I'll keep it short and sweet, but, um, I did start out uh, as a adult, a young adult, not even, I was 14 years old as a magician, um, before I did anything, but my whole life growing up, I shot videos with my friends. I always had a passion for filmmaking and, and uh, I did stop motion and animation when I was a kid. Uh, my dad, who's a music producer, was very creative. And when my mom would like go out to women's night events at our church or something, me and my brother and my dad, we would like make little short films with our VHS camera. So my whole life growing up, we kind of had fun with video and I never saw it as like a 
a job, you know, a future career necessarily. It was just something that everybody does, you know, at least in my opinion, because like I just grew up making videos all the time. Um, so I started doing magic uh, and I started to learn how to become a performer when I was 14 years old. Uh, I worked at CeCe's Pizza, which is like a staple here in the, in the South. Oh, we've got it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, baby. I think at the time it was like three ninety nine for unlimited pizza. Oh, and I remember those days. Yeah. They went up. They went up to like six fifty now for uh, for mm -hmm. pizza, which is I think ridiculous. But no, I mean it, you know <laughs> it's still it's still like a great deal for unlimited pizza. That's right. Um, but that was my first job. I we were eating there. My dad was like, my son's a magician, and then the manager was like, show me something. So I did a trick, and he's like, you want to come in every Saturday? We'll pay you two hundred bucks. Um, and you could come for a couple hours and we'll give you free pizza. I was like, are you kidding me? Like $200, yeah. like seriously, I was 14 years Heck old. Yeah. Um, so I was really nervous that first day. I, you know, there was a magic shop nearby my house and that's how I started magic. Um, but I never did anything professionally until that point. And my dad dropped me off. And then there I was with my little blazer and like sponge balls and a deck of cards and I was like, I guess I have to like go up to strangers and talk to them now. You know, it was like a really, I remember that moment very vividly. It was just, it was very, you know, it's stage fright kind of a feeling. And I just started going up to people and I, I learned over time. I was like, I am here to be an entertainer. So like, I don't have to be nervous because the fact that like I have this sign on my shirt that says working for tips and I have this blazer and the managers hired me, like, I don't need to be nervous about it. Like, I am here to entertain people. So I started having more confidence as I continued to just do tricks. And I would just go up to people and be like, hey, my name's Dave. I'm the magician here. Um, check this out. You know, and I pull like a ball out of their ear or whatever. Um, obviously, from there, I started getting a lot of birthday parties because it's CeCe's Pizza is a, a very big uh, family uh, restaurant, if you will, a fine, uh, a fine establishment. Uh, <laughs> anybody who doesn't know what CC's pizza is, go search for it on uh, Google. You'll see it. It's kind of a dumb place to be honest, but, um, nonetheless, that's how I started. And I started doing, um, birthday parties for kids doing magic. And then, um, as I got into high school, like older years in high school, I started doing, uh, magic at different restaurants. There was a bar and a grill that I worked at doing magic. There was a Salsaritas, which is kind of like a Chipotle kind of knockoff. Okay. Um, nice. I, I did some stuff for Chick-fil-A. I did school conventions and like, or not conventions, like school assemblies and stuff like that. Uh, and I was still in high school at this time. So to me, I was kind of, it w I was always kind of the nerdy kid. Um, I, I feel fortunate enough to be in a school where it didn't feel like there was the traditional like Disney you know, stereotype of the bullies and the jocks and stuff like it did yeah. feel fairly, uh, normal. Like I never felt like I was a complete low life, but I was definitely a nerd. Once I started doing magic, um, you know, people started like, Hey, it's the magic guy, do something. And so like that kind of became part <laughs> of my identity and I would do magic time halftime at all the football games. So like I'd end up nice. during, during the halftime show at football games, you know, you have this crowd of people and it became a thing and it, it really energized me and I loved performing. Um, and obviously, you know, girls actually started paying attention to me. So that was nice. Um, <laughs> please, please say that you had like, you know, the drum line 
you know, crowded around you. Like, <laughs> I wish. And you're I, just like doing your magic tricks. I used to be in a uh, marching band actually. Uh, and then I dropped out to pursue magic more full time. So I'm sure maybe at some point that happened. Yeah, I don't going. know. I'll be right back. My baby's sleeping. And so, oh, no worries. No, yeah, yeah, He's yeah. good now. All right. I'll just, now. I can keep, <laughs> yeah, you can, I can keep ranting while you it was do a, something. No, you're, you're good. Keep going. <laughs> nice. I like that that tone reminded me of like a toy yeah. from the '90s or something. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. It's <laughs> yes, like exactly. that eight-bit uh, beeping sound. <laughs> yes. You have a baby. How old is he or she? Eight months. Eight months. It's a boy. Yeah. Is he your first one? <laughs> My third. Oh, dude! Actually. Nice. Yeah. Got crazy man. Congratulations, yeah. dude! I Thank yeah. You. We just we just had our second uh, about a year oh, ago. Nice. And, okay. Uh, we are really starting to think that we're done. So um, you tell me, is three like the limit or what? We're done. Well, yeah. I'm saying we're done. So I hope we're done. Um, I'm just, but I, we're, we feel like we're done, but I don't want to like go get, you know, what done and then be like, you know, in a couple of years, like, oh, the snip yeah. snip already happened. Like you can, if, uh, I think within, you have a 10 year window where you could reverse the vasectomy. So unsnip, unsnip it. Mm. Yeah. But that, that just sounds extremely painful. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. anyways, Actually, yeah, uh, you keep going real quick. I'm going to check on them real quick. I'll be right back. Yeah, no worries. So, uh, did magic, uh, through high school and then even through college. But then, um, when I graduate, I graduated in 08 in high school. And so I'm 30, I'm almost 31. Um, so that gives you some nice, uh, I was born in 1990, yep. right in the smack dab middle of the, the traditional millennial. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I went to college, started doing magic professionally while I was in college and it started picking up eventually even met with some managers and, uh, was considering becoming like a full-time traveling, like actual magician where, you know, could book shows at, um, conferences and, and different things. And it, it, at that point I was already doing magic since I was 14. So I was in my early twenties and, you know, I already had five, six years of experience, uh, professionally. And so it was something that I honestly took very seriously. Um, funny story. I actually met Peter McKinnon at magic live, um, years <laughs> Dude, that's funny ago. I, that's funny. I've been thinking about Peter McKinnon while you've been like Peter McKinnon, you being a magician, there has yeah. to, there's just like uh, so, some, something that <laughs> relates to what you do now. Yeah, I think uh, on my 21st birthday, I went to Vegas for the first time to a uh, conference called Magic Live. And while I was there, there was a guy running around with a 7D and a 14 millimeter 2.8. <laughs> and uh, I remember it very vividly because he was... I was also shooting on DSLRs. This is I'm kind of jumping ahead. I was I was shooting weddings at the time, and we really looked up to this company called Still Motion, uh, which is based in Canada. Mm. And uh, he worked for them at the time. He was actually about to. I think he quit working for them and was doing magic videos. And I met this tall guy named Peter, and we became friends on Vimeo. This was literally. I mean, I'm, this was ten years ago now, um, at Magic Live, which is a magic conference. Um, I, I just watched his work. I always thought he would, he just had this gorgeous, um, style to his videos. He was doing stuff for theory 11, uh, which was the company he worked for before he quit and did YouTube. And then when he started doing YouTube, I was like, it's the magic guy from magic live. And like, That's awesome. I tried That's tweeting awesome. him and like, this was years ago before he even blew up. Like we're talking, he only had like a hundred thousand subs or whatever. That's when I discovered him and was like, Oh dude, bro. Like 
this is great. Good for you, man. We never connected and we still haven't, which is hilarious, but that's wild. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> um, yeah. In college, I started shooting weddings uh, around 2009 when the kind of the DSLR revolution started happening in the filmmaking world. The 5D Mark II was brand new. The, the Canon 7D came out. I had some buddies at my church who had a wedding film company and they hired me to do like a random shoot. And uh, I had really no experience and he kind of showed me how to use it. And then he looked at the footage. He's like, dude, you have no experience, but like it actually looks pretty dang good. Like you want to do this more often? I was like, absolutely. So this guy's name is Jeffrey Holland. He's here in Nashville. He still owns the company. It's called Full Frame Cinema, which uh, he came up with back in 2009 when we were shooting on the 5D. And it was like revolutionary that it was full frame, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, we kind of I was in school doing magic. I, I did a couple of shows here locally for like MTSU and Vol State, some of the colleges here. Nice. And, you know, I was performing at MTSU in their basketball arena for about 2000 people. And then that week I was also doing like a math test and I, I was also making, you know, $500 a weekend doing weddings and I just had this realization like, why the heck am I here? Like, why am I in school right now? This is stupid. Like you go to school to do your dream job. I'm performing for 2000 people tomorrow. And I'm also making a ton of money shooting weddings. Like why the school is literally keeping me from pursuing what I'm already yeah. currently doing. Yep. Yeah. And it was just this light. I feel like more kids nowadays because the internet is so open and, and people are, are more open to this idea now. But like back then, 10 years ago, I just grew up in a home where you go to school, you get a degree, like everybody around me went to school. I grew up in the South. So there wasn't a lot of creative people here, at least where I lived. It was Same. a lot of, a lot of people that end up working at a bank or become nurses, you know, yep, yep, which yep, yep, yep. no offense to those people um, at all. They're really sweet. And I have some amazing friends that are exactly like that, but I just didn't see a lot of creative uh, people in my life uh, other than my dad. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of was a light bulb moment for me. I'm like, I'm dropping out. And I, I ended up talking to my, one of my college professors about it. He was like, David, what do you want to do with your life? I was like, I want to be a full-time performer. And he's like, okay, go ahead. Walk out of here. You're an adult. You don't have to be in college. Like this isn't high school. <laughs> this isn't high school anymore. If you don't want to be here, you can leave right now. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, I always remember that professor. It was really kind of a poignant moment for me. So I dropped out of college and uh, pursued, I was thinking I wanted to be a magician like full time and the video stuff was just kind of on the side. I started working with this guy named Brock Gill, who's a Christian illusionist, one of the top uh, performers mm. in that market. He okay. was performing for, uh, it, he, I was kind of, he mentored me essentially. And uh, we traveled together. I would open up for him and do shows with him. Um, he, he was performing like 300 times a year at that time. And he booked uh, a, a performance gig for this really big conference, uh, uh, this really big concert called Winter Jam, which is like a really big Christian uh, tour, uh, you yeah. know, like Skillet yeah. and uh, Newsboys oh, yeah. and all those types of. Oh, yeah, baby. Bands. They all they all play at this big thing called Winter Jam. And he was the MC, So he would like come out, do magic and then introduce the bands and stuff. And that was like kind of the pinnacle, like goal for me was like hey if i could perform in front of arenas of people and and also pursue this like christian kind of gospel performer thing and, and do some good things with uh these mm. gifts that i feel like i was gifted with like that's kind of the dream is 
this my friend Brock. I feel like he was the ultimate. Um, like, there's nobody like him in the industry. He's actually one of the top Christian illusionists, I think, in the world. So, okay. and he was one of my best friends. And he sat me down at that tour. I was in his tour bus at Winter Jam. I was filming videos for him as well, just making promo videos and stuff. And he was like, David, you're really good at magic. You're really good at video, but you're never going to be great at either until you focus 100% of your mm. energy on one <clears throat> thing. And he's like, here I am, Winter Jam, you know, performing. Like some people would say I'm at the top of this game. And I'm just letting you know, like I'm financially, it's a struggle. Like it may look like, you know, things are good, but this is not a huge money making job, you know, to be a magician on the road. And he's like, you have a lot of skills in video. And I feel like you have a much brighter future if you pursue that. And he's and basically my magic mentor for the last three years, this guy who I really looked up to, he told me flat out, he's like, you should try doing video only and just see how you like it. Um, Because unless you want to do magic, which you totally can, um, you're not going to be like, it needs to be something you're really passionate about. And to become great at it, you need to kind of focus your energy on it. And that really spoke to me. The fact that like my mentor basically told me not to do magic. (laughs) I was like, okay. And so I started turning down shows. There's about three months where I was getting calls to do like, you know, school events or conferences or whatever. And I told all the restaurants I was working with that I was done. And, um, you know, I just passed them off to my friends who do shows and stuff. And I still have a ton of friends that are magicians here in Nashville. BJ Harris, his name's Harris, uh, the third. He's a big guy out here. Uh, Brock Gill, Jason Michaels, Stephen Bargatze, who is actually Nate Bargatze's dad um nate bargatze is a famous comedian now Um, his dad's a a famous magician here in nashville anyways i'm friends with all those people and uh have stayed close with them and i started just doing video full-time and i started with my magic friends i did a bunch of videos for magicians and it turns out magicians love working with videographers who are magicians because i knew which angle Mm. to shoot and like how to put it together and um so that kind of really launched that and Brock helped me out and I continue doing weddings full time. You know, I think I've shot over 300 weddings at this point. Um, the company I was working with, I was kind of like me and two other guys started this company together called Full Frame and um, he's the owner of it, but I was really a big team player of that company. And um, yeah, it was really cool. And I started doing video uh, full time and I never really looked back to magic, but there was always this like, man, I spent eight years of my life honing this like performance skill set. And I performed in front of thousands of people over those years. I really enjoyed it. I love making people laugh. I love making people smile. My type of magic was not like Chris Angel super serious. Like it was always just very comedic. I had jokes nonstop. I love making people laugh. (laughs) And so being behind the camera was cool because in a way I was still doing magic. Like I love editing and and doing visual effects and things like mm-hmm. that. To you're basically tweaking people's emotions, which in a way is kind of like doing magic, you know. Um, so I I found creatively I really enjoyed becoming a video person, and I actually had a, a Vimeo staff pick around that time that really launched oh, my career. Mm. I did a film <clears throat> called Porcelania that you can still see. It's still up on my uh, Vimeo page and this was back when vimeo was important (laughs) and uh which was like six seven years ago um yeah and google called me i was 
you know, in my early twenties, had no experience in a, like a professional, like set experience kind of thing. And they called me up and they were like, Hey, we love this Vimeo staff pick you did. Uh, we would love to hire you to do a set of commercials for us. It's got a budget of about half a million dollars. It's in New Jeez. York and, Inc. <laughs> and London. And I was like 22 with no experience. And I was like, well, I've never done this before. They're like, just make a treatment and let us know. I'm like, what's a treatment? And so, uh, <laughs> oh man, thankfully I was good friends with Ben Worley, whose brother okay. is Seth Worley. Um, mm -hmm. Seth works for red giant films. And at the time he was doing these amazing mm -hmm. short films for red giant. Um, a couple of them are pretty popular plot device, uh, plot devices was one. Uh, or plot device. He has a company now that he owns called plot devices with the story clock notebook. But, uh, Seth Worley did spy versus guy, um, a couple other films that were just great. They're all Vimeo staff picks are all these red giant short films, uh, which is a software company for filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And I met up with him and we became friends and he mentored me in all that. And he basically, um, helped me write a treatment. I didn't get the job. It was, it came down. There was five directors, um and uh zoom is asking me something there you go it, came, it was there's five directors for this google pitch it came down to me and this older guy that like had 30 years of experience that they've worked with before and they ended up going with him and the producer of the project said hey just so you know we loved your treatment uh we just went with this guy because he has more experience and i was like i totally understand but the producer is like but you should know, like, you've got a lot of uh, potential here, like, keep it up, you know? Yeah. And that was a really mm. inspiring and, like, it kind of got me serious about filmmaking. I was like, shoot, I need to, like, take myself seriously here. And so I changed my website to be, like, you know, Dave. I, I, my real name is actually Altizer. Um, okay. Maze was my magic stage name because it sounded oh, nice. cooler. Mm. So prepare to be demazed by Dave Maze. <laughs> Huh? <laughs> I love it. So yes. So yeah, I changed my website to be like Dave Altizer, director, filmmaker. You know, like very bold. Like yeah. I am a director, and I started. Um, I continued to shoot weddings and stuff to pay the bills, but um, I had a bunch of friends here in Nashville that are really talented musicians, um, and I just started shooting their music videos for free or for like you know a couple hundred bucks, and I learned uh, 3D animation, and that started. Okay. Uh, you know, some of these artists, like they're now really famous, but at the time they were starting out and, you know, my dad gave me good advice. He's like, always like, if you're doing a music video, make sure the music's good. Cause no matter how good, no matter how good the video is, if the music sucks, your video sucks. And so I mm. started getting really selective with like my buddies who like, some of them are just unbelievably talented musicians, obviously here in Nashville. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that, I started like working with labels and producers in, in the Nashville kind of music scene um, and started directing projects, had a couple that were, you know, fairly budgeted and whatnot. And I loved directing and it was a lot of fun, like having a crew, like you said, uh, Richard, mm -hmm. about, you know, once you start having a crew and gaffers yeah. and all this and that, like it really is a lot of fun. Um, and but there still was something kind of missing for me because I loved performing and um got married you know the freelance life and directing life was just a lot of ups and downs and so we decided you know i i'm gonna get like a real job you know to have some reliable income pay off some debt and uh, save up some money and stuff and so i started working for dave ramsey out here in nashville um, oh yeah hmm. yeah ramsey solutions 
I did a bunch of freelance for them in the past and uh, I loved the team there. They were all just super positive and great people. And I always listened to Dave Ramsey on the radio mm -hmm. when I was young and uh, did the whole debt free thing. And um, yeah, so I started working there on the video team and I hated it. It was the first real job. Mm. I mean, based on the storyline here, you can, you, when I was 14, I was a magician and then I performed on the road with my friend Brock. I did all these videos, had all the, you know, the staff pick and all this and that, directing, shooting, making good money, doing freelance, but it was a lot of ups and downs. And then boom, nine to five job with Dave Ramsey. Like, oh man, that was the first time, <laughs> I, that was the first time I ever had a real job in my life. And it was the first time I ever had a boss in my life where yeah. you have a boss who has a boss who has another boss. There's like three oh, layers yeah. of people. And I just hated that environment so much. And, um, I, enjoyed playing around with it and kind of pushing buttons because it was fun for me to like watch these guys get pissed off and then see the result and be like oh shoot you know um so i i kind of had fun with it where like they would give me an assignment i would kind of push the boundaries a little bit too much just because i was so bored with the job i had to make myself creatively fulfilled um i would get in trouble because you're not supposed to do yeah. that However, the video you made is great, dude. Like, we really love it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so We really like this. Uh, you did something different, but, uh, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, it kind of all came to a head at, at one point where I, I had to kind of do these same-day edits at a conference. It was this, you know, multi-million dollar Ramsey event conference thing. And I would film the event each day, edit it overnight. I, I stayed up all night editing this thing. And then they'd play it the next morning for the conference people like this was what happened yesterday you know I had the drone and all the gimbal stuff and I was all by myself oh, I didn't ha I didn't have anybody else helping me and Dave yeah. Ramsey himself would approve the videos each morning with me so I would I would have the video on my laptop and then Dave would sit next to me he would watch it and then he was like Dave this is great we love it you know high five whatever there were even a couple days where Ramsey on stage was like one of our team members Dave Altizer made this video give him a round of applause you know so I had like oh cool Dave Ramsey likes my stuff <laughs> um well this kind of pissed off my boss's boss because I was getting all <laughs> oh, this praise right and none of it came to him and I was on the creative team um which I was the video team which was a part of the creative team he was the boss of the creative team as a whole but my boss was actually the video team manager uh, and then obviously Dave Ramsey himself is the boss of everybody. So I didn't think I needed to like have this creative team manager look at anything because my boss was approving everything and Dave Ramsey was approving everything. So that cut this guy out completely because it was my boss and then the ultimate boss. Yeah. And uh, he was like, Dave, you have to send me stuff for approval before you send stuff out. I'm like, well, my boss approved it and Dave Ramsey, you know, your boss, he approved it. <laughs> and so he's like, well, I understand, yeah. but like, we need to have everything on the same page. Like you have to go through me on all these types of projects moving forward. And I was like, so you want to micromanage me? And then he said, yes, I do want to micromanage you. I said, no, you're not going to do that. And then he just like looked at me like completely stunned and he kind of fl <laughs> flubbed his lines. I was like, you can't micromanage me. What are you talking about? Like, no. I you love know? it. Yeah. Well, on Monday, I, I love that. man. <laughs> well, um, that was on Friday. I go home on the weekend on Monday. My video team manager, he's like, dude, I lost sleep all weekend. Like they basically told me you got to get with the program uh, or you're going to be micromanaged for the next 90 days. And I'm like, dude, I quit. Like it's a bunch of BS. <laughs> you know, so yeah, yeah. Um, it turns out my video team manager 
quit two months after I quit. And, uh, and then one of the other guys on my team as well, he left and now we're all here in Nashville doing freelance stuff and we can kind of laugh about it, how ridiculous and bureaucratic it was. Um, but during my time at Ramsey, I was so grateful for that time because I learned how to actually work with a team, even though I was kind of aggressive and pissed off all the time. Like I did learn how to work with more people. I've never had that Mm -hmm. before. Um, and I was so bored creatively that I started watching Casey Neistat and listening to Gary Vee. And Gary Vee really inspired inspired me to start my own YouTube channel. And Casey Neistat kind of showed me the route of like, dude, this guy is crushing it. He's a filmmaker, Mm -hmm. but he's on YouTube. Me along with so many other YouTubers, uh, Casey just inspired so many people. Um, So I just started reviewing camera gear because it was something that I was always so passionate about. Uh, while I was at Dave Ramsey because I was so bored. And so I I would tell <laughs> yeah. people, yeah, I'm a full-time YouTuber, but part-time I work at Ramsey. That's what I would tell okay. people because I, <laughs> I would spend like eight hours That's a day awesome. on YouTube. I'd wake up early, uh, get to the office early. I would like use all their resources to make my videos. And then as soon as like nine o'clock, <laughs> as soon as nine o'clock hit, I would work on Ramsey. I would bring my lunch. So from noon to about two, like it's beautiful. Nine to five is great. Like it's a great hack. Like everybody kind of takes their lunch at different times. So honestly in a nine to five environment, everybody kind of takes like under an understanding that noon to two is sort of like lunchtime ish. Um, even though you're only supposed to take an hour, but I was like, Hey, I'm not, nothing's going to happen between this window. Cause everybody sort of takes lunches at different times. So I'm just going to work on YouTube during this time. And so I would edit and my boss knew about it and he was cool with it. Um, and then as soon as six o'clock hit, I would go to the studio, which the Ramsey studio, and they let me use that studio and the C100 and all the mics and stuff. They would let me yeah. use it, uh, after hours on my own stuff. And so I started using all their equipment to like help me start my channel. Anyways, I quit my job. I only had like three videos on the YouTube channel at the time. And I was kind of like, what am I going to do? My wife was pregnant with our first kid as well. She was like, why'd you quit your job? I'm pregnant. You know, so we had to get on, we had to get on Cobra insurance, which was fun. I started editing weddings to pay the bills, but then out of nowhere, I got this email from this Chinese company and they were like, hey, we saw the four videos on your channel. We really love them. Would you be interested in hosting a channel for us full time called Kinotika? And I was like, what the heck? Sounded too good to be true, but I was so desperate at the time um, to like mm-hmm. do something with YouTube that I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so I had a, a Skype call with this guy based in Shenzhen, China. Uh, it turned out to be legit. They paid me. Uh, for the first couple of videos over PayPal is like, well, I'm, I'm making these videos and they're paying me. So I guess it's real. Um, and yeah, that was kind of the beginning of it. They started paying me essentially full time. Uh, it was just enough to live off of our rent was only a thousand dollars a month and they were paying me $3,000 a month to make eight videos a month. Uh, and so, and then my wife was, my wife had the kid, um, and, and decided to stay home and, because we just had very low expenses, 3000 a month was actually just enough for us to pay our bills and survive. Yeah. Um, and so I told Laura, my wife, I was like, okay, so here's the thing. I could make more money and we'd have a little more buffer. Uh, we could eat out more often um, and I could continue shooting weddings, but that's really like stressing me out. Like I'm not able to focus on YouTube. And if I focus all my energy on YouTube, I feel like long-term 
it'll benefit us greatly. I hear a, a kid screaming. Yeah. Do you need to go real quick? No, I think I think it's Will. Will, do you need to run? Oh, he's already gone. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he's. <laughs> I saw him like look at his phone. It looked like he got a text or something. And okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> Anyways, I sounds uh, like it sounds like a great time. It works out that I'm kind of rambling then. Um, so yeah, my wife was like, "I trust you. Let's go for it." Um, and uh, yeah, I just focused all my energy on YouTube. We made just enough money, but sure enough, like once we were making two videos a week, every single week consistently, I started seeing a little bit of that AdSense coming in. I, I started seeing a little bit of that uh, affiliate money coming in with people buying the, the cameras with the links yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. And uh, we got lucky and like, you know, went to NAB, the Blackmagic 4K was um, coming out that year, but it was all just rumors. And I saw the rumor sites and was like, this is going to happen. Let's get up, you know, at seven o'clock. I, I think I was at NAB that year. Oh, really? When the Black Magic came out. Yeah. I think so. Dude, it was so exciting. I, I knew yeah, it, was it was coming out and uh, I we were on the strip and I saw some Black Magic employees the night before the announcement. I was like, hey, yeah, that Black Magic 4K, it's, uh, that's going to be pretty sweet, huh? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they said it kind of like. <laughs> I kind of said it like that and I was yeah. like, okay, well that confirms yeah. it. Um, and so I was first in line to walk in the doors as soon as NAB opened and, um, we shot, like, I didn't even like do any research. I basically just went over there, asked the employees a couple of questions. It gave me enough information. Uh, and then we shot the video within two hours of NAB opening. We shot it. I edited it and uploaded my like first look or like whatever, on the black magic. Yeah, yeah. And at that point we were uploading twice a week, every single week on Kinetica. So the algorithm kind of knew like, okay, this channel's like pumping stuff out. And so we essentially broke the news on the black magic. So that really helped That's boost awesome. the channel because we only had 2000 subs, I think at the time. And then when we did the black magic video, I think we got like 10,000 subs in that week because it was the first like viral video, if you will, it had like, it got over a hundred thousand yeah. views in a day. And we were a very small channel at the time, but that really helped to launch it. Um, and uh, yeah, I just was making gear reviews every single day. Um, just loving life. Had the opportunity to host this podcast, Golden Hour Podcast um, from Polar Pro because they saw my channel. And it's really interesting because I was already thinking, you know, I think I want to move to California. Like there's a lot of filmmakers out there. There's a lot of YouTubers out there. It's also a much more beautiful place to live in terms of like shooting mm -hmm. outdoors and stuff. Um, we ended up yeah. uh, renting an apartment in Laguna, which is like literally like Hawaii in, in California, the rocks and the seals. And, you know, there's like tide pools and just gorgeous waves and uh, the weather's perfect every single day. I miss it so much. And honestly, we're trying to figure out a way to go back, to be honest. But uh, really? it was such a paradise out there. So anyways, that really launched our channel even further. Living in California, meeting all these different creators, becoming friends with so many different YouTubers, um, and being able to call people up and be like, hey, you want to do a, a shoot this weekend? Uh, I became good friends with Jevin Dovey, with Armando Fiera, with iJustine. Um, you know, I've met Gene a couple of times. I'm good friends with Josh Yeo now. And uh, a lot of those kind of California creators, we all kind of got to know each other. Jason Vong as well. Kitty from yeah. Atola Visuals. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I living in, in Nashville, Tennessee, I was definitely always seen as like, 
oh, this guy's kind of different. You know, he's a creative, he's a, mm. a YouTuber. Like, what's a YouTuber, you know? And uh, over there, it was so common and normal. Like, you go to the beach and you see all these influencers on the beach. Um, or, like, people taking pictures for Instagram. It's just really normal out there. And so I felt like for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, like, all these people accept me for who I am. Not only that, but, like, they're asking questions about it or like people I'm, I'm able to collaborate with other people like me. Um, I just really enjoyed that environment. And I felt like even like we went to Saddleback church out there and I really connected with some people at our church. And I feel like the people there were more my like personality type. So I got along with those people more than I ever did here. Cause I never really resonate as like a country boy like I hate country music. I don't wear cowboy boots. Like I don't hunt. Dude, me too. Same I, here. <laughs> I wear I wear Vans and like listen to like loud oh, yeah. rock music. Um, nice. <laughs> but uh, anyways, that's kind of the story. Oh, and then um, I guess you know indie mogul happened too last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I was just doing Kinetika. I, I did that for about two years. Was able to grow it to about eighty thousand subscribers. And then I, out of the blue, I just get this call from Ted um, from Indie Mogul, Ted Sim, who's also the president of Aperture. Mm-hmm. Um, we met a couple times at different events, and he was like, Dave, we love your style. We're looking for a new host. Like, ultimately, I don't want to be the host, so we're looking for somebody to replace me. Um, would you be interested in being the host of Indie Mogul? And I was just like, what? Like, jaw drop. It was just such a random call and such an epic offer. I went out there to meet up with them. I was living in Orange County at the time, which is about an hour and a half from LA, which is where he was based. Uh, Indie Mogul was based in Glendale, which is about 20 minutes from Hollywood. And I drove all the way out there, had a meeting with them. He's just such a positive and, and kind person. And I was his first pick. Like I was the first person that he wanted to, to ask um, to host it. And... Uh, after a lot of prayer and discussion, we decided to say yes. And I passed the channel of Kinetika off to my friend, Zach Mayfield, who lives here in Nashville. Um, very similar comedy entertainment style. Um, and yeah, I started Indie Mogul and just started kind of trying to grow it, kind of revive it a little bit. Like not that Ted was destroying it or anything. It just, he wasn't consistent with stuff. And there wasn't a real like YouTube strategy. Yeah. It was just kind of like, well, let's just interview these people and, and talk about these things. And the filmmaking stuff and t- the tutorials that he did were very successful. And some of them really blew up. But I came in with more of the kind of YouTube business perspective of like, let's review all the new stuff, you know, get a good sponsorship uh, situation with people, bring in some real money, you know, start selling products. We have a real opportunity here. Um, to make this the corridor digital of our niche, you know, like I think they were kind of the corridor digital and donut media were kind of the examples that we were going after for what we were trying to achieve with Indie Mogul and the future of it. Um, and to be honest, like living in LA with two kids, a stay at home wife during the pandemic, uh, not being able to mm. go to church, not being able to go outside without a mask, not being able to walk to my mailbox without a mask. Um, the kind of anger and the the animosity of the people in LA they're just kind of pissed off all the time and angry um and they it's ironic because they live in this beautiful city in this beautiful place um, yeah but people are just angry all the time and 
Um, I was working way too much. It, I became a workaholic essentially. Um, was not spending any time with my family. My marriage was suffering. My wife was really suffering, being just stuck indoors all the time. Um, and kind of realizing like, I don't want to raise my kids in this city. Like this is not the type of place that mm -hmm. I want my kids to go to live in. And I, I kind of realized too, like for the life that I want to have for my family, I have to make a million dollars a year to buy a, you know, $1.3 million house. Uh, and to make over a million dollars a year, I have to essentially not be present in my kids' lives. But hmm. I could also make like half as much money and live in a home with a yard and like have a healthy work-life balance, making less money, yeah. doing essentially the same thing, but not as much of it because I don't have to make a million dollars if I move back yeah. home. And my parents yeah. live here. And we've got these two kids and it, it was just too much for my wife to handle by herself. And so we just, I got an offer to work with my cousins who live here now. They're full-time photography educators. Um, and I do all their video now. They hire me. They basically matched what I, they're, they're actually paying me more than what Indie Mogul was paying me, which is crazy. Um, and they essentially hired me to be their video guy with the, uh, contract stating that I can still continue my podcast and other YouTube ventures. Um, that's, it's kind of a short term, um, you know, solution to get out here, uh, yeah, back, back yeah. to Nashville. I'm, my goal is to go back to full-time YouTube. And, uh, yeah, the thing that the reason why I told the whole story like that is because it's interesting how now it's been 12, 13 years since I started my professional, you know, life magic and film really have collided for me because not only am I filming and editing and, and all that's obviously crucial for being a YouTuber, but the thing that I think a lot of people overlook is the performance uh, side. And once I started doing YouTube, it really was this marriage of the things that I love, filmmaking and performing and entertaining. And so um, that's always been my focus for everything that I've done on YouTube is making it as entertaining as possible, um, and it's kind of come back to bite me a couple times. I'm still trying to figure it out, especially for our niche, because it seems that, uh, the sexy, cool guys do best in our niche and the really funny, quirky yeah. guys are yeah. not as successful as the sexy, cool guys. Um, and I just can't do sexy, cool guy. Like I'm just not capable of the Sam Colder kind of thing. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I feel like. I feel like people are going to come around and like, you know, the, you know, potato just a great example like of it though. I mean, he's where it's like, inst yeah, where it's like Instagram where it's like, you know, it's kind of the same thing, but now I feel like people are more, way more drawn to like people that are a little more authentic and like that aren't, they aren't the sexy, cool guys, but they're <laughs> yeah. amazing creators and like they're, they're awesome at what they do. And like, it's like a, I feel like it, it starts one way and then it starts to kind of transition because they kind of get tired of the glossy, yeah. you know, perfect look all the time. 100%. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's next, honestly. Um, you're, you're interviewing me at an interesting moment in my life creatively because I felt like I had such a, a clear and simple focus and direction mm. for the last three years. I, I even had in my head this identity of who I am. I'm a gear reviewer. Yeah. I'm a, you know, whatever. And these last three months I've been in Nashville. I, I haven't done any YouTube other than my podcast. And yeah. it's just been 
weird because I'm like, okay, what is my identity? And I'm, I'm starting to mature and realize my identity is I am a child of God first. I'm a husband mm. and I'm a father. Those three things are all the things that freaking matter. That's it. Like, yeah. And I'm so content right yeah. now with like one of my good friends, Jevin, he, uh, he and I talk almost every day and he's been getting on me. He's like, come on, dude, like get your, get your channel going. And the more distance I've had from YouTube, I've never had a break like this for three years. I've been nonstop YouTube for three years. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I'm the more distance I'm having from it, the more I'm like, I don't know, man, I, I'm pretty dang content right now. Like yeah. my wife and I haven't been this close in years because my parents are watching the kids now. Like we actually have babysitters, you know, we also live in a state that has freaking restaurants that you can eat inside of, um, <laughs> Cracker Barrel is here. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> which I miss. I think I've been to Cracker Barrel and Waffle House at least five or six times. I've missed oh, it so word. much. Um, Dude, I Waffle awesome. House here. I wish you did. Uh, I do miss in and out. Of course. Um, that was definitely a luxury to be able mm, to yep. just be like, Hey, you want to go get a milkshake and some in and out? Um, but I think honestly, when I really go down to it, like cookout is, is really good too. And we didn't have cookout in California and Cracker Barrel. Um, there were two Cracker Barrels in California. So I think I would trade like, I think I would trade Cracker Barrel for In-N-Out um, now that I've lived that's both a, that, of that's those a, lives. That's big time, man. Um, but in, in Texas where Will is, it's Whataburger. That's, uh, that's yeah, Whataburger. There, there's a couple. I think I heard a rumor that they're um, going to build a couple of those out here in Nashville. Which oh, there you go. Great. Oh, they would do, they would do well. Yeah, I... For some reason, every time I think of Whataburger, I just think of mustard. Like every burger I've gotten there just <laughs> Must- covered in mustard. mustard. Maybe it's, yeah, it's true. Maybe I got some bad it's ones. Like a, I should have a yeah, better mustard. They need a better mustard and ketchup ratio, you know? Um, I've, got a, yeah. I've got a friend so, who's so obsessed with Whataburger. He calculated it, and he, he, he said he thinks he spends about seven grand a year on Seven grand? They need uh, to like seven grand? That, that alone. Oh yeah. no. They it's need unreal. to like oh, no. they need to give him a, a plaque or something. That's pretty oh, impressive. He goes to the same one and he knows every employee by name and they know his order every time. They What is what is his uh I, I, I won't ask that. Uh, his order is ungodly. <laughs> like it's it's just an ungodly <laughs> amount of food that he eats and I don't understand how he does it, but <laughs> you, should make so, a, you, you should so make a how, mini doc about that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be yeah, fun. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So how did, like, I guess, I feel like a lot of aspiring filmmakers, they come to this place where it's like, they desire to want to be like this, you know, maybe this is some people, they desire to want to be like this famous YouTuber or have this crazy work ethic to where like they work all day, you know, every single day, blissfully crazy, staying up all night. And it's like, they view that almost like as the dream sometimes. Yeah. Um, At least I see that. Hold on. Wife's giving me batteries, and uh, <laughs> and then but now you you've you're in this like weird spot to where you kind of you've like what you said your identity is in God and like in your f- being with your family and spending time with them like hundred percent you know I, I think it's like a just a cool like it's cool how you've come to this place now to where you you see it's almost like you lost that vision of who you really are deep oh, down yeah. at your core and your foundation and then like. COVID and the pandemic has brought you to, to this place. Yeah, I I think a lot of it has to do with with LA and New York and that kind of lifestyle too. Like 
when you surround yourselves with all these workaholics and, and honestly, I feel like LA and, and New York and these big cities with all these creatives and all these filmmakers and they're doing all these cool things. Like everybody is just so obsessed with the career that you kind of get wrapped up in it. And I would never trade those two and a half years of living in California because they really did really just exponentially grow my career. And I, I honestly, before the pandemic, I would recommend it to, to people who want to pursue filmmaking, especially if you're single or you don't have kids yet. It's a great place to kind of experiment and meet people. But um, I think I was just so wrapped up in the world and in the cycle of YouTube, you upload the video, you look at the comments, you respond to comments, you look at your retention, like, okay, I'm having drop off at this point. So I'm going to change some things next time. And then like, is the retention up now? Like what's the click through rate on that thumbnail? You know, like you just get so yeah. wrapped up yeah. in yeah. it yeah. and because I was posting two or three videos a week, uh, it just became such a, uh, routine and I just, an obsession. And now that I've removed myself from it for the last couple months, it's been really refreshing because I'm like, honestly, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. And yeah. I think uh, one, th like if you look at a lot of celebrities, people who maybe have a downfall, one person that comes to mind is Chris D'Elia, who is a comedian and he kind of oh, yeah. had like, yeah. he kind of got canceled last year. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if you're, if you don't like listening to stuff with a lot of swearing, I wouldn't recommend listening to Chris D'Elia. And some of his stuff is a little cringy, uh, but I do like his comedy style. I think he's hilarious. And he never, you know, he claims that he did nothing illegal. He was canceled for some stuff. He came out and, and apologized and he said, you know, I have a, a sexual addiction issue. Um, I'm working on it. I didn't really, re I needed this moment in my life to change my life. And, yeah. you know, he's made, uh, you know, he's remorseful, but he's also making changes in his life that seems really healthy. Um, I've been listening to his show now. He's been consistently doing podcasts again. And he really has this same kind of situation where he kind of had it all. He was in all these movies, TV shows. He's one of the most successful comedians, you know, at the time. His podcast was getting millions of views. He was making millions of dollars. And he had this big downfall. And now he's realizing like his kid, he just had a son, like that's all that matters. And his existence is really about being a father mm -hmm. and, you know, he's not married, but his fiance and all this and that. Um, I think it's something that God puts in all of us because it's all pointing to him. I'm a Christian, yeah. uh, if you can't pick up on it already, <laughs> but like, yeah. it's, it's so funny when you hear non-believers talk about like, I don't know, I just feel this urge to like be with my son and you know, I have such a, you start talking about your father and you start tearing up about yeah. it and it's like, yeah. well, yeah, like God is supposed to be our father and we're his child. Mm -hmm. And it's all yeah. mm -hmm. like everything in our lives are designed to be in that format. Like the American dream is, is a man-made thing. Like God yep. gives us gifts and talents and things to, to, you know, give us creative fulfillment and it's all supposed to bring glory to him. But yeah. at the end yeah. of the day, like, it's the people around us. It's the people we impact, the people we love. You have to have a perfect balance of all these things. And it's, it's a challenge uh, yeah. to balance it. But I've been stopping at six o'clock and being present with my family and taking the Thanks weekends that. off and stuff like that. And I haven't done that in years. And it's been really um, fulfilling. I feel more 
yeah. joy and fulfillment uh, now than I did when I was working at Indie Mogul, making yeah. good money and getting hundreds of thousands of views on every video. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, it doesn't even so, uh, compare really. Yeah. Yeah. Also, also so, we're having I mean, we're having sex way more, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so I mean, you might you might already you might already know, but like cut that one Will and I. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just joking. You can leave you might it already in. know. Healthy sex. You might already know, but like, <laughs> yes, yes. So Will and I are like, we're, we're Christ followers as well. And like, that's super important to, to everything that we do. And I'd, I mean, it's awesome that we get to talk to you and kind of hear your story and kind of, you know, um, hear your faith and like how it's grown. But I think one thing that I, I definitely have a, cr- a question about that maybe during this time you, you've like, maybe you're still in this process of trying to find out or not, but I always am in this, uh, trying to, to feel like, okay, I'm a Christ follower in this industry. Like, yeah. What is the best, like, what does work look like for me? You know? And you know, I could probably answer this in multiple ways, but like, what does work look like for you? Um, now that you've come to this, you've lived this one world to where you were doing, you know, having this very work heavy lifestyle. And now you've, you've come to, you realize that family, um, is way more important. Like it, it's honestly, it's always been important to you, but that's like important to you, but your faith as well. But like, how does, how does that kind of like play out for you now? Like you said, you're, you weren't sure, um, what the next step is, but if you were to like say what your next step is, like what would that, what does that look like for you? It's <laughs> a good question. Um, Ironically, uh, there is some things in the works with Our Daily Bread, which is a uh, company. It's a publishing company that I, they publish I, yeah, the book. Yeah. They publish the book called Upmost for His Highest, which is like a really mm-hmm. famous uh, devotional. Um, and they've been around since I think the 50s or 60s. They would hand out Bibles and stuff. And uh, my brother is actually a missionary and a church planter. And awesome. I started a channel called my upload for his highest back in January where I would just nice. read, I would read the book, um, and just read comments and stuff. And I asked permission from them to read it, uh, the publishing company. And they said, no, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and so, but that began a conversation <laughs> with them. And now I've met with their PR guy and like their creative team and, um, we're actually this week, I'm actually shooting a couple of, uh, example videos, um, that we're, they're going to pitch to their high up people. And, um, I may actually be hosting a twice a week, uh, channel where I read, um, devotions or like teach people how to pray, how to, you know, yeah. how to read the Bible, stuff That's like super that. Cool. So I, I'm excited about potentially using these skills as a YouTuber in the Christian yeah. industry, because I think, I think there's a real lack of like people who are, who are like specifically yeah. focused on YouTube that understand the YouTube format that understand thumbnails, titles, like funny editing memes, you know, all that type of stuff, mm-hmm. sound effects, you know, all that in the Christian market. Like I don't know of anybody who's actually like, there's pastors, yeah. there's pastors and, and authors who like will post like a podcast or, or maybe yeah. like a, a live, you know, speech or something. But, um, as far as I'm aware, there's no like PewDiePie of the Christian industry. Yeah, so, yeah. uh, <laughs> so I mean, it's, it's like all Christian, like, I'm not, I'm going to sound like a, a critic, I but think, like Christian movies and stuff like that. Oh, it's, it's really garbage. hard for them to do it without being extremely corny or just like, I immediately want to yeah. turn it off. 
I mean, I know. I just now, I've, if you haven't watched, I've told Richard um, the Chosen. Have you heard of the Chosen TV? Yeah, yeah, series? yeah. That's the uh, the Bible. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a Jesus <clears throat> series, yeah. right? Like, yeah, it's like a multi-season series about Jesus. It's I, I haven't disciples. seen it. Is it? It's pretty good, it's, right? Uh, like, I, hands down, the best thing I've ever seen, having to do with the gospel and everything. Like, that's it awesome. should. It it could be on TV mainstream type stuff. I don't, well, I don't think it would ever get there, but yeah. Well, what's cool about that is like Daryl Eves is kind of behind that. And he's oh, really? like, he's one of the top YouTube educators. He works with Mr. Oh. Beast and all that. And that's cool. I don't know if Mr. Beast is anymore, but he used to have in his bio that he was a Christian and it's not okay. there anymore. So it wouldn't surprise me if Mr. Beast even is a Christian. Cause he yeah. seems to have a lot of focus on not being flashy and showy on helping other people. Um, yeah. He's got these, nonprofits that he's starting um so yeah like there are a lot of believe it or not there's actually a ton of creators in the camera space that are yeah. believers uh caleb pike levi allen um you know i don't want to dox all of them if, if they don't want me to but uh yeah yeah <laughs> uh you know i but to answer your question like i am i am going to be pursuing uh like actually doing christian content on youtube um but on top of that, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to reach millions of people necessarily from that. So my frustration with the camera gear industry has always been like, it's such a small niche. And I feel like as a performer, mm -hmm. I want to perform for more people and like have more impact so that like, imagine if I did comedy and entertainment for kids and like millions of people watched it. Well, I could do an event at a church and bring kids in and then share the gospel to them there you know yeah. um so yeah i'm still kind of figuring out that type of thing and i'm still dream casting but to answer your actual question of like the work balance and stuff like that i think i just got totally wrapped up into it in california and was just so focused and and was not spending time in the word was not spending time with my wife uh like i mm -hmm. should and um I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to the question of like, what is the perfect balance or whatever. But for me, um, it's worked well having kind of a somewhat nine to five environment. That's also an American and, and man-made uh, parameter. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think honestly, you know, you can just do whatever works for your family. For my family, that's, that's yeah. worked pretty well. And um, I think it's important to, I'm not, I, my wife drags me to church events m more than I want um, because like, ah, I don't want to go on a Wednesday night to this thing or a Bible study or whatever. Like, I don't want yeah, you know, yeah. to, I'm so worn out. But every time I go to like some sort of fellowship or something with friends, I'm always just filled up with, yeah. uh, with joy. And, and I think it's important to, if you're a believer to surround yourself with other believers on a weekly basis, not just at on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week, like having friends that you can connect with and not just talk about mm -hmm. the bachelorette, like talk about God, you know, talk yeah, about yeah, marriage. Yeah. And I think, um, we've, I had a, a small group that I was in at Saddleback when we lived in California and we kind of fell into the trap of like, we would just basically just hang out and just talk about life and, uh, you know, sports and movies and stuff. And, um, that's important to have that kind of like friendship thing, but it, it felt like, okay, why did we do that? Like there was no, like we didn't actually dive deep on anything. We yeah, just kind of talked yeah. about stuff. And so we, yeah, we, yeah. we tried to, you know, have some sort of structure to it, reading the, reading the Bible or 
Um, just actually asking tough questions like, how's your marriage actually doing? What's going on? How can we help? How yeah. can we pray for that or whatever? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, having a balance of friends, family, um, you know, being able to turn off. Um, I can't turn off though. Like I'm always, I'll be sitting in service. <laughs> yeah. I'll be oh, sitting yeah. in church service thinking about a video or something. Yeah. So I'm the same way. Uh, it's hard to turn off. And I think, uh, our spouses probably get the, the, uh, they feel the pain of that the most. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Sure. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. it's it's so encouraging to, mm-hmm. I guess, talk to another Christian filmmaker. You know, I, there's a part of me for some odd reason that, like, I was, always felt like I was alone mm-hmm. um, in, like, the filmmaking space with, you know, just as being a Christian. And I, I maybe that's just more... I don't know, media stuff and seeing, you know, what the world is like. But, man, it's so encouraging, like, getting to talk to you about this because, I mean, I think that's why Will and I connect so well and why I love getting to to work with Will is because we, you know, we have the same real vision and purpose. And that's like, we're brothers for Jesus. Yeah. We're all part of the same body and the same family. So there's that extra layer of connection that you have with other believers. And yeah. um, mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting uh, industry to be in as a Christian because um, you do have to kind of ride the line of like being open about it because yeah. um, if, yeah. you're, if yeah. you talk about it too much, you just have to like, this culture that we're in right now is such a, you know, the word cancel culture is what everybody says, but like um, you kind of have to be careful because uh, your entire career could be over. But what I'm, what I'm finding now that I've been able to, for the last three years, just focus on the gear stuff and grow that now I'm kind of given the kind of ability or the freedom to be a little more open than normal, because at this point they're kind of like, Oh, he's, you know, we know who Dave, he's cool. Like, um, you know, like, and, and honestly behind the scenes, every time I would uh, I don't want to say every time, but a lot of the times when I would meet up with other creators, um, say at NAB or CES or VidCon or whatever, you know, having dinner or, or lunch with somebody, um, I'll bring it up like, Hey, do you believe in God? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. um, yeah. <laughs> before the, uh, before the podcast on golden hour podcast, um, I'll ask sometimes like, Hey, are you a believer? You know? Um, or if not, you know, I can, I don't put it in the show, but I'll, I'll talk about God, uh, before or after the recording. Um, sometimes. I've even picked it up on some, some of the episodes there. You, you can tell just by some of your comments and the way that you talk, um, you can definitely <laughs> tell. The and Christianese I love it. I love is it coming that you out. Can. No, I mean, it's not even like the out, like, it's not like your typical verbiage that you would use, but it's like the koinia. We're having yeah. some good yeah. koinia right now. That's right. That's right. No, I, um, yeah, I mean the, I think the most important thing being a Christian is being bold and, and, um, that's what Jesus was. He was extremely bold (laughs) and, uh, I think we're given this opportunity to share and, and, uh, you know, God has given me all these talents and stuff or whatever you want to call it. And I need to use it for his glory and stuff, but I've always been battling, am I doing enough? And my brother, who's a church planner, he's like, dude, just like, don't be hard on yourself. Like yeah. you, the, the kind of American idea of what the gospel is, is a pastor 
having an altar call and people coming forward and like crying and laying hands on you and whatever. And that's great. But, um, just being Christ to other people and having real conversation and honestly, just putting little bugs in people's ears about Jesus and about being a Christian, like, the more you see those people, the more like things come up. Like Joshio mm-hmm. is not a, I don't, I don't think he's a Christian, but he knows that I am. And when yeah. we had a couple of conversations, he would kind of bring it up. He's like, yeah, I know you don't do this cause you're a believer, but da 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 da. And he was going through some stuff. I think he posted, a, um, I think it was the Anamorphia two film and he okay. wasn't, he was just stressing out about it. I don't know if you guys are f- follow him, but like, Oh, I think I'm, he was, I'm a big fan of his stuff. Yeah, he was like late on it. A couple, like he posted a bunch of Instagrams. He's like, my marriage is almost over because I can't finish this thing. And I said I was <laughs> gonna do it. And um, he gets really like stressed out sometimes about that stuff because he's so creative and he just wants it to be perfect. And right. I just texted him. I was like, dude, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your wife. Like, stop working right now. Nobody cares. Like, they can watch it next week. Get some rest. Be with your family. And he's like, bro, like I really appreciate you saying that. Like. There's people in this filmmaking industry, especially in LA, people actually don't care about like each other. They, they just want to get something out of the relationships. Yeah. And so I've been able to, you know, I'm good friends now with Hayden Hillier Smith, who is Logan Paul's editor. And we text mm-hmm. each other regularly. And I've, he knows that I'm a Christian and I don't think he is. Um, he knows that I'm a conservative and I know he's a liberal, but like <laughs> we're able to actually talk about stuff and, um, be kind to one another. And, and, you know, I think that's really lacking in this industry. There's a lot of phony baloney people. That's a stereotype for sure. But, um, there is a lot of phony baloney stuff in the kind of influencer YouTuber world. And I kind of try my best to be, you know, as caring and loving as I can be to others and just be like, Hey, like I'm praying for you or like, yeah, bro, that video you made is really good. Keep it up. You know, just, I love being encouraging and I, I um, it's, it's been great. So, man, uh, yeah, yeah, hearing you say that cool. is, is super encouraging too. just cause yeah. Um, there are a lot, there are a lot Heck more, yeah. it feels like there's a lot more believers around in Texas and the South and whatnot. Um, yeah, but 100%. still Same though, here. It, it's not everyone though. And this is encouraging, like seeing you hearing about you yeah. talk like that, be, be real with people, not just shy back, but you, you're willing to tell people who you are and, uh, you're not, not scared about it. But well, Will, what for you, what, I mean, well, both of you guys we're we're all, you know, born and raised in the, uh, not born, but like raised up in the South, mm-hmm. the Bible belt. Yeah. I've, I've found like, have you found that like everybody kind of goes to church, but then they also get drunk on Saturday nights, you oh, know, yeah. like, absolutely. Yeah. So I think when I'm, when I moved to California, I realized that like, it's definitely not culturally normal to be a christian in fact it's it's not you know it's definitely not cool to be a christian in california Mm -hmm. um however people were pretty open to it like it's kind of the environment in la is kind of like oh yeah every every religion is the same you know like good good for you yeah um but i found like the christians and the friends that i made that are believers in california were like more on fire for god and more serious than all my friends back home because um not all Okay. If you're, if any of my friends uh, are yeah, listening and they're, saying, yeah. uh, uh, you know, mad that I just said that, but, uh, <laughs> it was inspiring to me. Cause it's like in a, in a culture where, um, it's definitely not cool or normal. Uh, 
you know, people are more serious about it because the people who aren't, aren't, you know, they're not going to go, you know? Yeah. So, um, and I can't imagine what it'd be like in other countries. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go to a lot of different countries. Uh, when I started doing video, doing mission videos for, for, uh, nonprofits and missionaries worked with compassion international food for the hungry, a couple missionaries in Africa and Haiti and Dominican Republic. And in those countries, like it's definitely, you know, either dangerous to be Christian or yeah. um, literally people have never even heard yeah. of Jesus in their yeah. life, you know. So uh, I think that's cool. And I think it's important for every everybody to go overseas and to see real poverty, to see yeah. what a third world country actually looks like. Yeah, yeah that's awesome to hear you say that because I know Richard, you've been overseas, Richard, haven't you? You know, I've been overseas not for mission work, though. Okay. Um, yeah. Not until coming up. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Oh, where are you going? Where are Richard you going? and I are shooting. What well, do you want? Do you want to tell people now? We haven't really like. Yeah, so them. we haven't we haven't disclosed any of this. It's kind of been in the works the past month. But um, I have two of my one of my best friends that we went to college together, went to the same church. Um, they're now missionaries and uh, work with a group uh, with like Village Church, um, Austin nice. Stone out of Texas. And yeah. yeah, they, uh, Will and I are going out there and we're shooting a bunch of videos for their organization, um, uh, in Lebanon. And so, oh, cool. uh, yeah, we're super pumped about it. We haven't told anyone yeah. about anything yet, but yeah. is it going to be, uh, is it dangerous out there or, or it's, it's not super dangerous. They're in a financial crisis right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I think it's crazy to that extent. Um, but from what I've what I've gotten from them, it's not it's not bad, um, as it probably could be. So, yeah, yeah. Well, dang. Well, yeah. Good well, luck Dave, on that. That'll be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> good job. So that'll be so fun. So, Dave, uh, you're shooting this. Are you shooting this on your C70? Is that what you're using right now? Yeah, yeah. You're looking at the C70 over uh, my uh, Elgato thing. Yeah. Nice. Okay. What a so. We can kind of change gears a little bit. You talk about gear <laughs> yeah, all the 100%. time. We love talking about gear. What is? I'm a gear guy. Yeah, you're the gear guy. I've seen the video. So, <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, what is your favorite piece of gear? Is it your C70? Just what? What are you loving right now? So uh, the C70 came with this new job, um, essentially that I'm doing with my cousins. So they um, bought it and are you know it's it's they own it. Um, but I am the keeper of it and they have allowed me to use it for everything that I do. Um, nice. it's great. It's kind of the, I, I used to shoot on the one DC. It's actually in the closet next to me. I wish I had it, um, with me, but the one DC is like my dream camera that I always wanted. Um, okay. it was during the five D revolution. Canon made a one DC, which is a variant of the one DX that shot 4k and it had Canon log. It had a continuous recording. Um, it was sort of full frame, like it was full frame, but when you went to 4k, it kind of cropped in a little bit. Okay. Um, Philip Bloom had it and did a bunch of reviews on it. And at the time it was like $15,000. So it was completely out of reach for me. Um, and then they started dropping in price, uh, about four years ago. Uh, you could get them for like two grand, you know, on, on eBay or whatever. So I ended up picking one up and, uh, I've actually had three over the last five years now um because they keep dropping in price sweet so i'll like buy another one awesome. or sell it and buy another <laughs> one or whatever so 
but th there was a lot of issues with it. it didn't have a flip screen it didn't have yeah. any type of autofocus um you know it was limited to 8-bit 422 the codec was terrible uh there's no good audio no built-in indie but i love the image on it and so we shot the um for the first two years of Kinotika's life almost all of the videos were shot on that camera which nice. it is not it is not a youtube like type camera at all yeah um but i didn't care like i really loved how it looked um and uh yeah i ended up you know switching to sony and nikon i was on the z6 for a while um and then i found the olympus em1 mark ii mm. last year they updated the firmware and it was the perfect vlog camera. It had IBIS, it had great autofocus, it had a flip screen. Sweet. The color science is great. It's small, lightweight, fairly affordable. So I started shooting all my videos on the Olympus cameras. Um, I still have the EM1 Mark III with the Pro Primes and stuff. Uh, that's yeah. actually probably one of my favorite cameras, uh, okay. which is so... I don't talk about it because nobody cares. Um, <laughs> nobody cares about yeah. Olympus. So I don't <laughs> make a lot of videos on it. Yeah. Um, but I do love that camera. I love the color. I love the images okay. that it takes. Um, but the C70 really was the answer to all of my like dreams of what the 1DC could be. Okay. It's got a nice flip screen on it. It's got the built-in NDs, the audio. The, the video looks great. Great codecs. Nice. Um, the autofocus is incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So when the C70 came out, I was like, this is it. We've arrived. This is the one. And with the speed booster, it's actually the exact same like crop that the 4K was on the 1DC. Hmm. Um, it's not true yeah. full frame. It's just a slight like I think it's like a 1.2x crop on a full frame. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got the 16 to 35 2.8 on there right now. And uh, yeah, I'd say it's probably the best all around video camera um, for the money. I mean, it okay. is expensive for sure. Um, but it's if you're a professional and you're just cranking out videos left and right every single day and you need a workhorse yeah. and you don't want to break the bank and buy like a, you know, a C300 or the, you know, the higher end Sony's, um, this is the way to go for sure. However, nice. on the flip side, you have the A7S III, which is ultimately the perfect camera. Killer. Um, yeah. It's got everything on it that you would ever need. The IBIS is great. The focus is yeah. perfect. Take stills. Um, so if I wasn't working with um, my cousins doing all the stuff, you know, long form videos and needing indie and XLRs and all that kind of stuff, um, then I probably would. And they're all they're also all Canon anyways. Yeah, um, if yeah. I wasn't in the Canon ecosystem, I would probably go Sony. But that's what we like to I have been using this camera <laughs> and I do love the color. Like the color is great. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, uh, uh, funny yeah, story. So I, uh, I, year ago, year and a half ago, I watched a video by, by you about the Red Dragon X, uh, 5k now 6k, um, because yeah, yeah, yeah. for some reason I was trapped in the red, red spring <laughs> of mind and wanted a red so bad. Reds um, are sexy. They're cool. Uh, yeah. Kind of. I, I don't really think so anymore <laughs> because you made that video and, um, about the Red Dragon X, and it was like, your big thing was, is it still worth it to buy this camera? Uh, yep. Like, is it worth it to spend 20K <laughs> on uh, a kit for one one camera that still has lots of things missing in it? And when you made that video, well, you probably made it before, but I watched it when I was looking for that video, for when I was looking into that camera. Yep. And I watched the video and you said that, I was like, forget this guy, I'm getting this camera. I love this camera. <laughs> and um, I ended up buying it. And oh, cool. uh, with, 
within the year of having it, it broke for no reason. So like I got it fixed and <laughs> sold it and, oh, dang, and man. then went to, uh, we, Sony convinced uh, them shoot all on Sony now. What? I said, I convinced you to, yeah, you're right. Cut yeah. To, the, to the right. Side. It, you got the Sony well, what? Sony FX six. I have the S three too that oh, I use yeah. as a B cam. So, um, yeah, the FX six is like kind of the perfect all around camera for yeah. Sony right now. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of the. Uh, it's really the real like C three hundred or uh, that's. It's like the C seventy. Uh, yeah. Equivalent. Competitor. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah. Except it's it, yeah. it does have better features honestly. Yeah, the Canon colors um, are nice though. Dude, yeah, I'm sorry for your uh, your struggles. I think we've all been through a red phase. I definitely have been. Yeah. I never pulled the trigger and bought one, but I would lust after it, you know, for sure. Oh, big time. Um, yeah. And I was really pumped on the Komodo, and um, that was actually the first review I did for Indie Mogul was the Red Komodo review. Nice. And uh, I loved that camera too a lot, but the C70 really answered all the issues I had with the Komodo and, and actually ironically the last video I made for Indie Mogul was the Komodo versus the C70 and why nice. I chose the C70 and um, uh, you know I think it's not for everybody still and Canon is just really annoying because like it's still not it's definitely not perfect and they like I don't know why they don't put a full frame sensor in there because uh, it's got an RF mount. That would have been perfect because yeah, yeah, yeah. then I could use all the RF lenses. Yeah, the glass is so nice. Yeah. And now I'm stuck using EF lenses only because of the speed booster, which I want to use for the full frame thing. Um, I don't like how the screen, like the, the flip out screen is nice, but it's also like really flimsy and the whole body's mm. kind of cheap feeling. Uh, you know, so... It's, it's definitely still not perfect, perfect, but it is pretty dang close. And um, as I'm doing more and more research on YouTube and, and just studying the biggest YouTubers on the platform, the one thing that has been consistent um, through all the biggest entertainers on YouTube is that they all shoot 1080p and they shoot on crappy cameras. And yeah. uh, it's not a, an accident. It's 100% intentional to make the video feel relatable and mm -hmm. uh, more handmade. And, you know, PewDiePie makes tens of millions of dollars. You know, Mr. Beast is pulling in tens of millions of dollars. Uh, Logan Paul, all these people can absolutely afford a crew. They could hire a videographer yeah. that owns yeah. good stuff, but they're intentionally shooting on um, DSLRs with the baked in profile, with the exposure yeah. blown out, handheld, shaky footage. And, it's all 100% intentional to make it feel more authentic. And so um, I've been shooting at 29.97 on a lot of yeah. my videos and doing some experimenting with that. I've been shooting with the baked in Rec 709 profile on the C70. And I really love the look of it, even in 1080p, which at that point, it's kind of like, well, to save money, if you're just going to use a 1080p camera, you could just buy the, uh, the C100 Mark II uh, and just deal with that, you know, the 1080 on that. So, but I am using the C70 for some of these, uh, for like the devotional channel and the entertainment stuff that I want to experiment with. I'm, I'm going to limit it to 1080p intentionally, and I'm going to bake it in with the profile. I'm not yeah. going to shoot log. Um, it speeds up your workflow and yeah. some of the noise and some of the image degradation from being 1080 and zooming in on like a funny moment, it makes yeah. it funnier. Cause like the crappier yeah. it is, 
the more the punchline hits harder when it's kind of crappy. Um, sure. There was this guy named Julian Smith back in the old days I, on YouTube. I watched. I watched him. He was the, great. So yeah, I'm good. The, so he's from Nashville actually, and his okay. he has like five brothers and sisters, and I'm good friends with his younger brother, and uh, he I think he's doing directing now. He's like just okay. directing uh, commercials and stuff, but like he always had really high quality uh, for his stuff, and it was funny. Um, but I wonder yeah. if like if he kept going and he kind of lowered the production value a bit, but kept the comedy good. Like he like he would Julian Smith would be crushing it right now on TikTok and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah. Big time. Um, but, you know, he, he chooses not to do it. But yeah, uh, yeah. Th so that's kind of an interesting topic and something that I'm continuing to study um, on YouTube is that like as technology advances and as more normal people get access to 4K and things like that, I would imagine the threshold of acceptable quality will continue to go up. And when you're in the camera review niche, you have to shoot 4K 10 bit log yeah. and yeah. all this type of yeah. stuff because the people watching it kind of expect it to look good otherwise yeah. um you don't know what you're talking about you know yeah. but i kind of find it really fascinating having it intentionally scrappy to make it feel more relatable and uh i've been experimenting with that and i'm, I'm excited to play around with that some more because in a way that's its own kind of like you know you're using a different type of brush to create yeah. a, a different type of video um that's that's really smart i really like that that train of thought that's really cool cool about that but yeah, yeah. the sony world is great i like at the end of the day if you have the budget like uh, getting a sony a7s3 is kind of the best camera like ever like if we had those when we were shooting weddings you know six oh, seven man. years ago i mean but i, I feel yeah. like it kind of makes you lazy too a little bit because you the tool is so good that you 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 don't focus things anymore manually like mm -hmm. um you know, you don't have to think so much about your exposure and composition or whatever because you can crop in or, um, yeah. you know, there's so much dynamic range. It's like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll color grade it in post to make it look how I want. But like <laughs> when we were shooting on the 7D and the 5D Mark II, we were shooting on the neutral profile or sometimes I was even baking it in in standard um, yeah. on the 5D so I don't have to color correct it. And it was it was a good exercise in learning my white balance and white balance shift. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was using the Z finder on the back of the screen and just doing everything manual. And there was no focus peaking or anything. And you really became kind of like one with the camera. And I think there's something important about learning how to manually focus your camera. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It makes it, that's what makes it like cinematic because there's a human controlling the focus, not a robot. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Getting this, uh, this, I mean, this is my first, so I have an FX6 as well. This is my first camera that ever has autofocus. I was always on the GH5 line, and so it was always like, eh, oh, it's, yeah. not, it's not worth, you know, using any type of autofocus feature. And then when I was at the production company here, we were always on, like, FS7 or C300, or we would shoot on the area mirror sometimes. And it was like, you know, you you never use autofocus. But I'll tell you what, yeah. man, it's, it's nice, man, having this well, autofocus. <laughs> <laughs> well so for for if you're a solo youtuber it's a like it's a non like there's no uh you have to have autofocus like yeah. i know there's there's people that do it but like honestly if you're a youtuber you have to have autofocus and i think it's ironic because there is like a, a circle of cameras like i've i've I remember three or four years ago i would talk to these camera company people at like nab and i was like look if you make 
the camera for YouTubers, you're going to get so much free marketing because oh, all yeah. the YouTubers will be so happy that they'll tell everybody to buy it. And even though most people don't care about flip screens and don't care about uh, autofocus, if you make the YouTubers happy, they're going to sell cameras for you. Mm -hmm. And it yeah. just blew my, it blows my mind still that Panasonic won't put good autofocus in it. Um, but I remember when the GH5 came out and then Casey Neistat switched to the GH5 for about two months. Yeah. It was during, yeah. NA, it was during NAB and I talked to a Panasonic rep and he said, yeah, like as soon as Casey Neistat switched to it, he's not even linking the camera in his description. Our sales went up like 10x just from crazy. Casey uh, using That's it. Nuts. And so, um, you know, it's, it's crazy. And so Sony had this big... Um, convention called camera camp with i just seen and they invited like every youtuber uh, except me to the uh party <laughs> and uh i'm just joking i'm not butthurt at all um and uh i think there was like 50 different youtubers or something it was crazy like you know everybody that you can really think of in the camera review space and apparently they were like they had all their engineers at this event and they met with almost every creator and asked them what do you want you know what's the camera that you want and I think they, they, the, the cameras that we now see have come from that uh, Sony camera camp. So we have the ZV-1 on the low end. If you're a vlogger or any type of like influencer that's on kind of just a, you know, the James Charles kind of beauty vlog space, like you don't yeah. need anything yeah. more than the ZV-1. You just put it on a yeah. tripod, you get a ring light. The autofocus is great. It's got a flip screen. It's got a mic jack, all that type of stuff. It's the perfect like vlogger, starter, YouTube yeah. camera. And then you go up to like, I want interchangeable lenses and I want to be able to have some good depth of field and maybe take some good pictures here and there. Well, now you've got the A7C, which is essentially the A7 III, mm. smaller with a flip screen, yep. a mic jack, yep. and um, you know, it's the tiniest full frame camera ever. Um, and then the pro guys, you know, all of us, like here's the A7S III, the perfect like, camera for filmmakers like on the high end people who yeah. are freelance love it but then you also have the youtubers like sarah dici and you know whoever armando fiera like they're all gonna love it too uh potato jet switched to it i think maddie apoya switched to yeah. it yeah, yeah, i think yeah. jesse mm -hmm. tweeted yesterday or two days ago that he's gonna switch yeah. to sony um <laughs> so like you have the high end like creative yeah. so like it seems like that camera camp was really valuable because they basically Either we're working on all these products and they maybe uh -huh. made some tweaks here and there. But there were so many years where it's like, put a flip screen on it. Put a mic jack on it. Like, yeah. there were so many cameras yeah. that didn't even have a mic jack on it. Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so now I'm sure they're just selling, like, hotcakes because not only are the cameras good and they've fixed, finally, the uh, color science on Sony cameras, um, but all these YouTubers love it. So they're just giving yeah. them free mm -hmm. advertising. And people yeah. don't realize the power of... of uh, the influencer marketing thing and because i was involved in it i was able to see the numbers to see you know how many camera sales i was bringing in for bnh you know hundreds of thousands of dollars of sales yeah, that i would bring yeah. to these companies um and then they only pay you a couple thousand dollars too like i think armando told me he brought in like two hundred fifty thousand dollars of sales Holy in like cow. a couple of months and he only made like two grand from bnh you know so it's like dude i'm I'm bringing in a lot of money and you guys aren't really paying me that yeah, much, but, that's wild. um, but then the sponsorships and things like once you start getting involved in that world and you see the opportunity with, 
making money, it really opens up your mind. And I never really realized how much money was in it until I got in it. And yeah. on the high end of things, like when you're talking with some of the big tech reviewers, like snazzy labs and um, those types of people, I mean, they're charging like six to $10,000 per ad read. So yeah. if they're doing four videos a month, that's $40,000 a month, just reading a Squarespace yeah. ad, you know, yeah. and um, it's pretty amazing. And I didn't really know that that was even a thing. Otherwise I would have done YouTube a long time ago. But, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, that's, it's why, that's why I want to get back that. into it. Cause there's, there's really like, once you start a YouTube channel and it starts growing and you start having some snowball effect, it's really just like, as long as you keep adding, you know, oxygen to the fire and just keep growing it and changing as the platform changes, like unless YouTube goes away for some reason, uh, if you stay relevant and you keep making stuff, yeah. like you're going to continue to grow subscribers, you're going to continue to grow views, which means you'll be able to make more money. Like there's really no ceiling to how much you yeah. can make other than the niche itself. Like I, I feel like the camera filmmaking niche in of itself does have a, a ceiling to it. Like, cause there's only so many people interested in it and it's, yeah. it already is yeah. kind of a smaller niche, but Peter McKinnon proves that like, if you go <laughs> with the more of the photography video, uh, hybrid kind of thing and make it more relatable. Like there's lots of people that watch Peter that aren't even photographers. They just, oh, yeah. he's oh, yeah. entertaining. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so uh I guess uh will are you good if we if we wrap it up or do you have yeah, any more questions? I was gonna say we're we're creeping up on like cool. two hours. So cool. we so can make sorry. This two episodes. Yeah, just, <laughs> no, just well, to, I could sit here all day and yeah, talk. Yeah, me so, too. No. Me too. Just to wrap it up, I feel like this would be a good question that people would enjoy hearing your take on. Like, you know, what would you suggest to people that are trying to get into filmmaking or trying to get into the YouTube space? Like what are some tips and, and some things that you would say to them yeah so um i'll treat it like two questions so filmmaking in general uh, could be um just doing freelance stuff or getting you know becoming a director or whatever i, th I see that as completely different than youtube because youtube really is a very specific thing um there's people that do both um but i feel like youtube is its own path and you have to learn the language of it and learn how to do it um, because it's so specific. You can do it on the side and kind of use it as a way to market yourself as a freelancer, as a director, kind of set yourself up as an expert so that when you um, pitch for, for projects or get opportunity to, to, to do a job, maybe the client stumbles across your YouTube channel and is like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about or whatever. Um, but in terms of the filmmaking thing, just find like people in your local neighborhood, whether you live in a city or not, find people nearby that do what you do. If, if you can't find somebody nearby, like reach out to people online and ask questions, be a part of the community on Twitter, mm -hmm. on, on Instagram, things like that. That's the beautiful thing about social media and go mm -hmm. out and just make stuff um, for free. Um, you know, ask a local uh, ice cream shop, you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm a videographer and uh, I, I'm just learning and want to do some stuff. Can I make a, a video for you? And in the age of social media, now finally a lot of these small businesses, they understand what social media is and the value of it. So almost any small business will be down to like let you come out, come over on a Saturday or whatever and shoot a promo. You know, yeah. I have a friend here in Nashville that he just wanted to start doing some more commercial projects um, and he was a wedding shooter. And so he just needed like some, some work to show that he can do more commercial projects. And so he basically just went 
door to door locally and asked all these businesses to do free videos for him. And now he's a full-time commercial director because he made like 10 of these commercial projects on his own. Mm. When you do it for free, they have really low expectations. So you, you blow them away, yeah. um, which means they're going to, you know, promote you with, you know, if they have a friend who also owns a business, like, Oh, you need to, you need to connect mm-hmm. with Will. Like he's really good. He did this video for me. And, you know, as long as you charge money the next time uh, and actually make something. But when I got that call from Google to do the commercial project, I was shooting weddings full time. That was like my bread and butter. And I wanted to transition off of that and do music videos and more, you know, directing. And so I, you know, like I said in my story, like I did music videos for free for all my friends or for really low amounts of money. I put all those things on my website. I didn't tell anybody that I did weddings um, Mm. on social media. So if you're doing something to pay the bills, that's totally fine and and honestly very normal. Um, but you don't have to like, if if you want to be on social media and stuff, you don't have to talk about it. You can just kind of talk about what you want to be doing, yeah. so that mm. when other people discover you online, they start to see your work in that uh, respect. I would also like switch. You know, maybe if your name is attached to say a wedding business, like the. Um, you know, if I had the Dave Altizer film wedding films website, I would have like changed the name to something else that doesn't have my name attached to it. So like if you're, if you've been running a business for a while doing a certain niche, you know, weddings is the, the easiest one that I can think of. That's like very distinct and your name is like literally attached to it, then change the name of it and then have your personal Instagram account and uh, website focus on what you want to be doing moving forward. Um, yeah. I think that's a smart move. Hiring out people, making less money, hiring people to do edits for you so that you can do what you love. Um, my podcast now, I have an editor full time. So all I do is just the interview and then I give him all the footage. I don't have to edit it. So that's been really nice to to be able to do that. I don't make as much money from it because of that, but um, I'm able to spend more time with my family because of that. Yeah. So yeah, find people awesome. local work for them for free, find like local establishments, maybe experiment with it. And obviously you have, you have YouTube to learn. It's like pretty amazing. The YouTube question is a different topic altogether. And it's still something that I'm even figuring out because now I'm, I have this opportunity to um, either continue where I left off on my personal channel and do gear reviews again and and make it fresh and new and and actually own it instead of working for Kinetika or Indie Mogul. That that's the most logical move for me to do because I already have this audience of people who will uh, see that and follow me. But there's also the other side of me. It's like, well, this is a great opportunity to try something completely different and completely new too. Um, So I'm still trying to figure that out. I'd say if you want to start doing YouTube, um, really be as like self-aware as you can possibly be about the things that interest you and the things that you would do for free anyways, like hobbies. Um, Maybe you do video, you know, freelance, but you love uh, remote control cars um, as a hobby and as a passion. Well, just because you're good at video doesn't mean you should make a camera review channel or a video centric channel. You have a leg up on other YouTubers because you understand how to shoot and edit. Um, That's one of the biggest hurdles for up and coming YouTubers uh, because YouTubers in general are typically, you know, family vloggers or makeup channels or, um, toy reviewers, or I have a friend who, you know, he has a family vlog where he, he and his wife and his kids like have a farm, 
like his biggest hurdle was learning how to edit, learning how to mm. shoot, understanding what aperture is. Yeah. Well, if you're already a freelance videographer and you've been shooting on cameras now for the last couple of years, you've been editing stuff for a couple of years and you want to get into YouTube, I would almost suggest like finding um, a niche or finding a hobby or a passion that you're into that isn't filmmaking and then using all mm. the filmmaking uh, knowledge that you have to execute that channel. So that's where I'm at now because there's just so many people doing gear reviews and tutorials and whatever. I'm feeling kind of like bored of it, to be honest, now that I've been doing yeah. it for three years. It's like, yeah. I have all these skills as a video maker that gives me a leg up on other video makers on YouTube. So like use that skill. Like if you're a guitar player, maybe start a guitar channel and then people like straight out of the gate, your first couple of videos are going to look good and be well edited because you already know how to make videos. Um, yeah. So, but if you, if you are very passionate about filmmaking and you love that community too, there's always room for more voices there. I don't think we've reached like the, the maximum amount. I don't think we ever will. Like everybody has their own distinct voice yeah. and their, their own thing. I just think now that McKinnon has proved that there's like real success here and it's been several years since Casey Neistat, people are definitely catching on to YouTube. Like I was lucky that I started three and a half years ago when yeah. there were less people doing it. Mm -hmm. um, like now it's, it's a real challenge to stand out. I think the biggest thing that makes you stand out on YouTube is consistency. Most people yeah, aren't yeah, yeah. consistently putting out one video a week, every single week. Um, so if you can talk about gear and stuff like that every single week, then go for it. Um, so yeah, I would just be consistent, um, buy the book called, uh, by Daryl Eves called YouTube formula. That book is essentially the Bible for becoming a YouTuber. Nice. Um, I highly recommend it. He just released it like two months ago. I've read about half of it already. Um, and it's like a huge jump start into like understanding YouTube. And if you're a filmmaker going into YouTube, it is not filmmaking like there is a formula to the the format of it like you got to get straight to the point um you know you have to basically hook your viewer in the first 60 seconds for example mr beast is kind of the ultimate example these days like um the title of one of his videos was uh i gave away you know four houses or something like that and then you click the video and the very first word out of his mouth is, I just bought this house and I'm literally giving it away for $1. Boom. Yeah. Within four seconds, he's already delivered on the title and on the premise of the video. You see somebody pull up. He's like, you know, do you want this house? I'm going to sell it to you for a dollar. And he's like, are you for real? He's like, yeah. And then they sign the, the paperwork and then he gets that. Within 60 seconds, he's already sold the house for a dollar to somebody. Yeah. So within 60 seconds, the viewer is like gobsmacked by the concept of the video. And he's proved that he's actually telling the truth on what he's promised from the title. So that's the extreme example. But you could do that for almost anything. Um, you know, for gear reviews, I would typically just start talking about some of the things that make that camera amazing and not have any type of setup or intro like, hey, my name is Dave Mays. Yeah. This is uh, Indie Mobile. Yeah, yeah. And on this channel, we talk about blah, blah, blah. It'd just be like, this is the new C70. It does 4K 10-bit, da, 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 da. It does this and this. Yeah. And it's unbelievable cut. As you can see, the autofocus is pretty amazing. So without yeah. any intro or setup, like within 30 seconds, people are like, oh, shoot, this is 
this is a cool camera. I like this yeah. camera and yeah. you know, whatever. That's awesome. So hey Dave, real quick. Uh, y'all can finish out. I got to go pick up my daughter. From <laughs> school, I'm talking so. way too much. No, no can, I love you it. it. It's really cool. You we got can it, end Will. it now if you want. You got it. Well, oh, okay. uh, I can, I can, I'll, I'm closing out anyway. Right. So we're good. Sounds so good. So there's, there's your long answer to your question. I'm sorry. Love it, Dave. Man. <laughs> well, dude, Dave, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show, a show that you probably didn't I loved it. know about brand new show, brand new podcast. So man, thank you so much. Best of luck with the next chapter. Too, guys. What's going on. So happy that you're uh, connecting super close with your wife and your kids and you're in your, uh, taking family time and being close to them. And, um, man, love seeing you grow so far and can't wait to see what happens next for you. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me on. Will and Richard It was great to meet you. Hopefully I'll see you like at an event or something. Thank and, you, uh, man. Go get your, go get your daughter. Sorry for keeping you late. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. You're good, man. Yeah. That'd be All awesome. Right. Uh, Dave, where can people find you? Uh, at Dave Mays on Twitter at Dave Mays underscore on Instagram. Um, that's where I'm most active right now. Hopefully I'll be starting my new YouTube channel up soon and you could find me at Dave Mays there. D A V E M A Z E. Awesome. Well, people, thank you so much, Dave. And thanks for listening. If you've, uh, if you've got to listen today, we really appreciate you guys. Um, it means a lot to us. If you were to leave us a review on any of those places that you, you, uh, leave a review, you know, the five stars is nice. Um, Oh yeah, but yeah, we uh, we just thank you guys for tuning in and, and listening to our conversation with Dave. It was awesome, um, awesome dude, and uh, can't wait to see just more that he does in his career. All right, y'all have a good one.